This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the cult classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present day viewing. And hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, fwwquantumleappod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to Fate's Wide Wheel. Uh, it's, it's been a minute. Long, yeah, it's been about uh, three weeks, about a month since we recorded. Is that right? It's been a while. Yeah. We've had stuff. We've yeah. had life. We've had a pandemic. Yeah. I, I, I lost my job. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've had unemployment. We are, are adjusting to life with, uh, with our second child. Yeah. Well, not our second child. Not our second child. No, no, not our second child. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, me and Betsy's second child. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, here we are, back in your earbuds, hoping to bring you a little bit of joy. Yeah, absolutely. During, during and we these were, present times. We, we were talking just briefly uh, off mic, but but yeah, I you know, uh, pandemic related, um, um, my position was was eliminated, uh, which I completely understand. You know, given the circumstances, a lot of arts organizations are are kind of fighting for their survival right now. So they're you know they're they're doing whatever they can to do that, and unfortunately, you know, that my workplace cut uh, quite a few positions, um, but uh, I kind of saw it coming. Uh, in the meantime, it's given me time to kind of look at things. And one of the things that uh, we noticed is that we have, um, it seems like, quite a few new listeners recently um, because uh, people are hitting that download button more often and, and we're getting notified about it. Uh, by the time they listen to this episode, however, because it seems like they are starting at the beginning, um, they'll feel like they're old pros and, and, and know us quite well. Uh, but I'm just going to take this opportunity that if anyone has started to listen uh, during the the pandemic of 2020, uh, we thank you for that. And hello, how are you? Welcome aboard. Uh, as we as we near the end of this particular journey, we're glad that you decided to join us and and hang out and spend some time with us. Because obviously, any 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 place we can get a little enjoyment right now, we might as well take it. Yeah, absolutely. You may have noticed that over the course of this podcast, we have mellowed out quite a bit. Our uh... <laughs> Uh, we don't drive the social issues home as hard anymore. Our, our episodes have gotten a little bit shorter. Uh, we Unfortunately, we have less guests just because of uh, programming and scheduling and everything with, with pandemic stuff. Uh, a lot of the guests that we've had like brought in live from uh, you know the Chicago area, bringing them live into Project Quantum Leap, which was most often uh, Sam's home. And obviously, we're not... We're not doing that much i we saw each other dropping our kids off at daycare about a month ago and that's the first time you and i have seen each other in person since march or february yeah yeah easily and and it's funny too because um just thinking about the fact that the last time um that we like recorded and had a guest it was done remotely but not out of necessity it was just that that was the easiest for uh, for David, who was you know who guest started an episode of Quantum Leap, and so it's uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to 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 think uh, that we we used to all congregate here at my place 
uh, and do that. Although I have been thinking that obviously being in the home stretch and, and, and the final episodes here, that we should absolutely do whatever we can to try to Skype a couple of people at least back in uh, who joined us early on. Uh, I think that'd be that'd be lovely. So um, we'll we'll definitely see if we can do that. The nice thing is is that our very first guest will be easy to have on because she lives in this house with me. That, um, yeah, so. that is true. <laughs> that, I mean, uh, I would say we get Betsy on too, but then it would also be a family affair bringing the kids in. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, yeah, Betsy is somewhat co-host by proxy sometimes just by she offers her input that I, that I bring in. But, uh, yeah. I'll be interested to see, did she watch this one with you? She did, but she watched it, because uh, we watched it a couple weeks ago because we were planning to record and then we had to reschedule. Uh, right. And then I rewatched this morning. She didn't do the rewatch with me, but she watched a couple weeks ago. I'll try to, to dig down and remember some of the comments that she, that she yeah. made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking yeah. of... Yeah. Um, what episode are we, we talking are about, here, Sam? <laughs> we are here this week to talk about Liberation, directed by Bob Holm um, and written by Chris Abbott and Deborah Pratt. Um, I'm going to talk about both of those things a little bit more in detail later, so I'm not going to go through the usual, they wrote this or directed this crap right now. Uh, air date was January 12th, 1992. Our leap date is October 16th, 1968. We are apparently somewhere in Connecticut, maybe Boston, depends on who you talk to. Uh, and Sam has leapt into Margaret Sanders in the midst of a um, of a rally. Mid- yes, a rally, a protest. This is the first episode aired of 1993, worth noting. The, oh, yeah, I'm uh, sorry. I said 92 a second ago. That is, I am in 93. Yes, my, my apologies. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. No, I am wrong. I am wrong. I, I totally forgot about Tale of Two Sweeties. How could I forget a Tale of Two Sweeties? Uh, <laughs> that was the first episode of 1993. This is the second episode of 1993. Uh, so, yeah, uh, let's do the TV Guide description like we do. Uh, Sam becomes a homeowner committed to the cause of women's liberation who must save the life of a women's leader, but might lose a husband in the process. That's pretty straightforward. Indeed. No puns, no bad. Uh, let's see, in other countries it was called, uh, well, first off, uh, the working script here in the U.S., it was called Bread and Roses. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. It's kind of unfortunate yeah. that they switched it up. Yeah. Uh, in Germany, it was known as Cry for Liberation. In France, it was known as Release of Women. And in Italy, it was simply called Sit-In. <laughs> I, you know, the, the interesting thing is, is I like, uh, and, and uh, I think it makes sense, uh, Deborah Pratt being an erudite person in general, um, that the original title would have been something like Bread and Roses, which I think even in, you know, 1993 would have been fairly obscure by that time. I, I think maybe it, it's it's perhaps maybe a little bit more in the lexicon now than it even was then. Um, but it's a political slogan uh, that originated from a speech given by uh, women's suffrage activist Helen Todd. Um, and I, I think that it, it went on to inspire um, some poems and actually um, had, had even been included in some lyrics uh, of songs. Um but yeah, it, 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 it's not something that you hear a lot, um, obviously, but I do think that uh, it's, it's worth kind of tipping the hat there just because, uh, you know, knowing that um, 
Deborah Pratt wrote this episode. Um, I don't know. I, I think that she had to give up some things along the way to get this episode in, quite frankly. And I wonder if the title was one of those things that she had to kind of give up because people didn't understand it. Sure. I mean, it's also interesting because uh, I don't watch enough. Well, I, I do watch a lot of TV right now. Most TV shows don't even put the episode title out there. You know, True. Really. Uh, maybe in the, in, the, in the guide description or whatever. I, I, don't, uh, I don't know how often the title of an actual episode of television determines whether or not I actually watch the episode. Right. So I wonder. Hmm. I don't know. Also, maybe at this point worth noting, and I was just reminded of this recently. I can't remember what, uh, what I was reading. But by this point in the series, Don Belisario and Deborah Pratt were divorced. That is correct. But still yep. working together on the show. Yes. Not going to hypothesize. I don't know. But I'm just, I've always, you know, since I was reminded of that, just kind of wonder how much that influenced their, their working relationship through the rest of the show. Well, a contemporary article um, that came out in uh, about a week before this aired, um, titled "Producer Takes a Leap with Liberation Script," can't make that shit up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the 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 article actually opens with the line: "Infighting erupted behind the scenes of Quantum Leap over the show's January twelfth episode." Um, and then the article goes on to chronicle the fact that um, Deborah Pratt, uh, when writing the episode, you know that she she was looking for um, you know something that was important to her, um, something that she felt connected to, and 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 that she knew that the network uh, would be looking for you know, kind of another high concept gotcha kind of thing, uh, like the rest of the season was. And that Sam had been a woman before. He'd been a wife and a mother before. He'd been, you know, he'd, he'd done those. So it was a struggle to even get the script um, produced. And uh, it, it took time. Um, but she finally kind of wore them down to say yes. Her other request was that it be directed by a woman. Um, which I think she was absolutely right to ask. Um, you know, as, as, as we've talked about kind of even on the podcast before, I, I, I'm certainly not going to say that, um, you know, only a woman could direct this script or should direct this script. Uh, I do think, though, that knowing that how few female directors we got during Quantum Leap, that this particular subject matter and knowing that the writer slash producer of the show wanted to have a female director, I think that it is a request that should have been honored. Unfortunately, it wasn't. And it was given to someone who had only directed three other episodes of television his entire career. You know, it doesn't make sense. I will say that that may lead into what my thesis statement is for this episode, is that I feel... Uh, this is an episode, like, I, I've never hated it. It's just never been one of my favorites. But upon rewatching, especially rewatching it twice over this last couple of weeks, I think this is a potentially, this would have been a great, wonderful milestone episode of the series if, one, everything you just said had it been directed by somebody else. Because I feel like where the episode suffers a lot, it's just, it's just like, 
like the setup of like the camera angles and, and things like that. It just uh, some shots. It almost seems like it's shot more like a uh, uh, like a sitcom on a set mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. than an actual like episode of like one hour television. So maybe it's be, like what you just said, an inexperienced director, but also the fact that we are in the last season where there were budget cuts, they were cutting corners on the show, they had one less day per episode to film. So like I said, I wonder, had this episode taken place back in season three or season four, had this been a, a better, more powerful episode? And like you said, this episode is kind of an anomaly. This is one of the few regular episodes in a season that was a gimmick palooza as mandated by NBC. Yeah. It, you know, and it's it's interesting too to note that the, the next episode that um, Pratt will write, Revenge of the Evil Leaper, was indeed directed by a woman. Not only directed by a woman, but a woman of color. Uh, Debbie Allen, um, who had, of course, directed, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, why can't I think of the title of the episode? The dancing episode? Private Son dancing? of a... Yes, private dancer. Yeah. Thank you, um, and, uh, and 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 I think that you know it would have been really interesting to have um, to have her work on this episode because I thought private dancer was very well directed and very well shot. And obviously, Debbie Allen had directed prior to this, um, you know, been involved in, in numerous film and television projects prior to Quantum Leap. But yeah, um, yeah I, I agree. I, I completely agree with what you're saying, though that that it that it it, it feels like the producers. Um, the group, she even says in the, in the article when, when she was interviewed and asked about, um, you know, why she wanted and why she fought for a woman director. And she says, it wasn't that I didn't think a man could direct this story and do a good job. It's that I thought a female director would do it with a particular sensibility that only a woman would have. But I could not get approval from the group on any of the women director candidates I suggested. Um... And then she adds, I realized the limitations of my own power. Ugh. Oh, man, that just brings this episode into a new kind of focus, doesn't it? It really does. Um, it really does. And I, and I, you know, I also think that Chris Abbott, um, who gets the, the co-writer credit on this, probably didn't have a lot to do with the script, except for the ending because the ending is not at all what has come before, and the ending is not... I just cannot think that that's what Deborah Pratt wrote. Oh, I would believe that. I would buy that. I have my issues with the ending. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I just wanted to get that out of the way right off the bat because I, I feel like, you know, you have a guy directing this episode in Bob Holm who has directed um, only... Um, like I said, three episodes of television up to this point, one of which was Tequila and Benetti, uh, and then the other, <laughs> the other two, which were um, Running for Honor and Deliver Us from Evil. And while I don't think either one of those episodes was poorly directed, I do think, you know, contextualizing this episode with those other two episodes, some of the choices that I did not enjoy in those two episodes do come down to direction and do feel as though are the similar issues that I have with this episode's direction and some of the stuff that you yourself mentioned. You are right. My big, even with running for honor, that's another episode. It could have been a great episode, but now that I think about it, my hangups with that episode 
are how some of the scenes are just like they're just shot super basic. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it and it's fascinating because I never would have necessarily like pointed that out, you know, prior to this, but now just having that extra bit of context and and and, and feeling like wow, what a way to fail someone who comes to you with what is otherwise like you said a really good script, potential to be a great episode with a with a simple request about the director providing you with names, not even saying go find me a female director, but saying, "Hey, I have these three or four women that I think would be perfect to direct this episode." It's like what? Especially you know, knowing the subject matter of the episode. I know. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to guess that probably that episode of Tina Benetti was shit, too. Right? <laughs> well, it was titled Mama. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, how can you screw Mama up? I don't know. Written by Tommy Thompson, one of our fellow oh, Quantum Leap Oh, alums. yes. <laughs> anyway. Oh, dear God. Uh, All right. So anyway, I just wanted to, I wanted to preface our discussion of the episode with that information, because I feel as though... Knowing the content of this episode, it the irony cannot be lost uh, on us as observers and and commenters um, that this this particular episode seems to have been hamstrung by meddling male fingers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> meddling meddling male fingers. The subtitle of our episode here. Yeah, right. Anyway, well, should we leap in to the let's to, let's to the do episode it. proper? Uh, so Sam leaps in. He's at a rally. Uh, a woman who later will come to know as Diana St. Cloud. She is uh, she's delivering a fiery speech, and the woman, the young woman standing next to Sam, is telling Sam to do it, do it, do something. She looks down, or Sam looks down, realizes that he has a bra in his hand. I think you mentioned at the end of last episode how it's it's just kind of a thing. Like Sam, like oh oh a bra, Ugh. Uh, yeah, throws it up in the air and throws it on the fire. He is doing the famous bra burning. That is uh, such an image, uh, a powerful image of the of the women's lib- movement back in the sixties, which we know now that was probably not actually a thing. Right. Uh, but yeah, Sam's a woman. He's holding a bra. Ugh. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a meme recently, actually, as as I mentioned to you off mic. It seems like due to Quantum Leap, I think is is airing on Comet uh, Mm -hmm. right now, and so the subreddit um, is getting a little bit more attention, and people are posting, asking questions, that sort of thing. And there's a meme that was recently posted, um, and it's and it's Sam um, from the pilot. You know, when he goes to look into the mirror as the baseball player. Uh, and on the in the mirror image, instead of it being uh, uh, our friendly baseball player's face, it's actually Don Belisario, and uh, it's 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 got the subtitles that Sam says, uh, "I've leapt into Don Belisario," and Al says, "Yeah, and your mission is to change the season five theme music back." <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, I'm doing. Uh, I, I, I dove in. I'm, I'm watching some select episodes of Enterprise, and so diving mm-hmm. in on social media. I'm following a lot of more like Star Trek centric Twitter accounts right now, and so everybody, you know, the the age old how horrible uh, Faith of the Heart is. And I just wanna, <laughs> what's worse, Faith of the Heart or season five Quantum Leap theme song? Or how about this? Imagine if, if I had more if I had more time and energy, I would do this right now. Imagine taking the opening credits of Quantum Leap 
and putting faith of the heart over it. It would almost work. It would. And it would also make me firmly say that faith of the heart is worse. <laughs> yeah, I would. And I forgot that starting from season three of Enterprise for season three and four, they kind of did a, a Quantum Leap-esque uh, jazzing up of the theme song. Mm-hmm, they made it mm-hmm. a little bit more. They made it a little bit more upbeat. Uh, Betsy has caught a couple of the beginnings of uh, of Enterprise. She's caught the theme song a couple times, and she's like, "Oh my God, Jesus Christ!" And I'm like, "Well, you got to keep in mind it was early 2000s." And she's like, "Really? Because that sounds like late 80s, <laughs> 90s." Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let, let us know what you think. What's worse, <laughs> Faith of the Heart or Season Five Quantum Leap theme song? I, you know, my, my, the one other thing I'll add to that is that I guess the great thing about the Quantum Leap theme song is, you know, underneath all the crap that there's a good theme there yeah. that we've heard for four years prior, whereas Faith in the Heart was just bad always. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I defend it on social media just to troll people, <laughs> just to get a rise out of people. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's pretty bad. But third season of Enterprise is pretty solid. I, I would totally agree. I think the third and the fourth season both. I think the third still has like some stinkers here and there, but uh, the fourth season I, I think is pretty pretty fantastic, with the exception of the finale. Oh, sure. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 But anyway, there's, there's, there's our Star Trek tangent for the episode. One of them. <laughs> right. One of them, at least. Uh, so, yeah, we're in the opening credits, and then... Uh, we come back there in uh, we come back there there in the prison cell, right? Or in the jail cell, um, right? I, I know this first like we keep jumping back and forth between between jail and the dinner party back at home that where George is improvising because because Margaret is not home. Right, 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 right. Uh, I don't know if they're in the jail cell when we come back from the 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 break because I think we get the 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 oh boy the music plays. Uh, oh, that's right. They got to yeah. The, they got to get swept up yeah from the protest yeah into the jail. Exactly. That's right. Yeah, we do have that moment with the photographer where uh, you know Sam gets gets his photo snapped and asked for his name. Yeah, <laughs> don't want to like, be identified with this crowd. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. How could I forget all this? Because we get some nice moments of uh, of uh, red. Oh, what's the actor's name? Um, we've seen him before in Running for Honor, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, no! Not running for honor. He was enraged. He was. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, he's one of the two. One of the two friends that confronts Sam in the bathroom at Rape. We'll see him again in Memphis Melody. Uh, Russ Cotter. What's the actor's name? Uh, my, yeah, minor player, but he's the the guy at the protest who is uh, who is trolling Diana as she's speaking, and she gets some good zingers right. in on him. Yes, I agree. It, it was interesting to see his face just again, having, you know, having seen him once before, knowing that we'll see him again and knowing that he's not necessarily, a, you know, I mean, he's one of the he's got one of those faces. It's like, oh, yeah, he did that thing and he did that thing and he did that thing. Um, but uh, uh, it, this is definitely like kind of just he's done after that. There's nothing after this moment. Yeah, that's it. Just yeah. just some guy that basically like he is a vehicle for Diana to get some good singers. Yes, pretty much. To, to 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 show that she's not going to back down that that you know she's not threatened by him yeah absolutely yeah and then we got the photographer and that that's such a weird thing uh, Matt Dale in his book 
uh, Beyond the Mirror Image, he points out, like, why is the photographer, like, giving out spare, you know, <laughs> pictures at a protest? Really, it was just a creative way for us to see what Sam looked like yeah, as Margaret without doing the, the standard mirror shot at the beginning. Right. Which I actually kind of like. I do. In that, yeah, in that, yeah uh, it works. Um, even if it doesn't necessarily make a lot of logical sense. No, no. Uh, but again, 30-year-old TV show, we weren't expected to analyze it too hard. But yeah, we get a nice yeah. uh, Polaroid shot of Sam as Margaret. Um, and this is when the police show up to, to break it up and, and take in the protesters. And this is when we go from the jail from here. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, uh, it's, it's, you know, there's so much, there's a lot to unpack. And I think that this is, um, just indicative of the quality of the writing and, and Deborah Pratt's writing as a whole, because I I do, I genuinely feel like there's, there's probably 35 to 40 minutes of of a really great quantum leap episode here. And then there's like five, to 10 minutes of a not so great quantum leap episode here. Um, and, and I'm assuming I'm making an ass out of myself potentially, and that's fine, but I'm assuming that that is, is, is firmly because Deborah Pratt wrote this script and then somebody tinkered with it. Um, and you know, whatever the case was, whatever politics were being played backstage, whatever personal axes were being, you know, ground due to the, the divorce or, or whatever was happening. Um, that that uh, I'm just going to go with that. So my assumption is the good stuff is Deborah Pratt and the bad stuff is not. So with that said, the opening moments, we get so much good stuff because we do. We get this really great um, uh, setup of, of Diana's character. And uh, we also immediately, you know, Megan Price, who plays Suzanne, um, the daughter uh, of Sam's um, Leapy, uh, you know, we get we get a great setup of her. Uh, then with the stuff in the, the, the jail cell, there's some interesting dynamics between Sam and Al. Um, Al clearly is, is, is in devil's advocate position for the bulk of this episode. Um, oh, Al is in peak chauvinist form. In yeah, this episode. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially like one of his lines at the beginning is like he, he talks about uh, like the fantasy, the fantasies that oh, are being God. tipped off by being in a women's prison. And I can't think in just a few episodes, we are going to be in a women's prison. Yeah. Luckily, yep. uh, we get a much more uh, humane version of Al in that episode. But yeah, in this one, we, we kind of have devil's advocate, male chauvinist version of Al. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, and the nice thing is, is that it's juxtaposed and intercut, as, as you were saying, with the dinner party scene. Uh, and we're seeing George, the husband of Sam Sleepy, um, having to navigate, you know, both sort of the, the host uh, and hostess duties, if you will, of this dinner party. But we get, you know, some some wonderful viewpoints and perspectives uh, from multiple characters. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I that I really like about this is um, the character of Evie. Um, I think, um, that Jordan Baker with a limited amount of screen time, um, does a lot with that character. And I feel like that character has a, has a larger presence than what the screen time would dictate just Mm -hmm. because she is spoken about multiple times when she's not on screen. Um, but this is the first time we see her, you know, she's, uh, it's almost it's almost like a blink and you miss it thing. You don't even know that she's actually an employee as, as, uh, as well as, uh, the other dude, um, Peter. Peter, um, yeah. yeah um, and, That's what and, I, I feel like, uh, like upon watching the episode a second time, like mm-hmm. in preparation for this, I, I, I don't know, like, 
the way it's shot, I don't know what it is, but it seems like the subplot is given such short shrift mm-hmm. when it could have been actually, frankly, even a more interesting plot than the main plot of the episode. Yeah. I do wonder if there was any fear of retreading any ground from What Price Gloria if they were talking about a woman in seek of a promotion um, and, and having that be like the A plot. Um, but the thing that would that, that would differentiate it and, and make it so multi-layered as opposed to what Price Gloria is that you have this excellent discussion that's also taking place about nationalized health care. Yep. You have this w- wonderful conversation that's taking place about family and, and, and traditional family roles, all this sort of stuff. That, that was not what you were seeing in What Price Gloria. And I think it's, it's a more nuanced conversation in so many ways. And, I, and that's why I agree with you. I'm just wondering if, if there was any... Knowing that Deborah Pratt had to fight for this episode in some ways, I'm wondering if potentially that, like, was some of the pushback. Like, you know, did Don look at her at one point and just say, like, well, we already did what Price Gloria. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I just get this feeling, and I hesitate to say it because I don't want to think poorly of our of our creator or, or, or of any of the people working on a show that we so love. But there is this, there, I can't help but ask the question, how much of the opposition that she faced during the creation of this episode came from a threatened chauvinistic point of view? Oh, God, absolutely. I mean, also think about it. I mean, Don Belisero has said that really Al is his, is his counterpart. Right. And if you think at some of the viewpoints that Al holds and how he speaks and how he refers to women, uh, yeah. 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 And, and I do think that there's, I mean, obviously there's a lot uh, of, of good stuff to be mined from the, the, you know, the A story that we do get here with Diana, with Susie and, you know, the, the, the push for women's liberation. Um, but I, but I do uh, agree that there, that there's, there was potentially a more nuanced thing going on on the other side of the table, uh, no pun intended. Um, and you do see that in wonderful juxtaposition early on between what's happening in the jail cell and what's happening at the dinner party. Sure. Absolutely. Um, we do meet, uh, Peter, uh, at this dinner party, which we are later going to find out that that Peter is the son of cheap Tipton. So that becomes an important relationship in the thing. Oh my, yeah. Peter, uh, yeah. Oh, dude, Peter's the worst. Man, uh, you know, sometimes you write a character that has absolutely no redeemable qualities whatsoever. And, yeah. Yeah. Here, it's, here he is. It's interesting, too, to think of the way that, I mean, you have to comment on it in an episode like this, the way that the men are written versus the way that the women are written. Um, and how I, I you, you do get the strong sense that... Um, you, you know, you get, and this is not to say that they're not layered, they're not fully realized, but you get characters that are filling certain roles, and that even though, you, you know, you, you can easily divide this episode by gender, that I think that if you go beyond that, and we get some scenes that play this out perfectly, especially with the women, that there are divisions within that. And I think coming from someone like Deborah Pratt, it's even more meaningful, um, because it's something that we see that, that we're seeing right now. That's the other thing about this episode. There are so many things that are mentioned in this episode that felt very timely. 
mm-hmm. you know, S- Sam's line about riots, for instance, uh, that, that he has coming up. There's, you know, there's the stuff about the nationalized health care. Uh, there's the stuff about about gender and abuse. And, 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 and I think that it's it's interesting to see that Deborah Pratt did not just make it an us against them sort of thing, that there that that she, that she also illustrated the divisions within each side so that it's not as simple as saying, you know, Whereas Diana St. Cloud might very easily say all men are bad, it's not that simple. It's not black and white, that there are a lot of gray areas espoused within the episode. However, that doesn't mean that there's not room for a guy like Peter who's a jerk. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So we're jumping back and forth between yeah the, the dinner scene here and the gel, and I can't remember where exactly, it, it, where, where the seed is laid that uh, Peter and Evie are, are up for promotion. At work, and it's laid somewhere here. And in the jail scene, we kind of see that things are being tipped in favor of of Peter's uh, Peter's side of it because George and Chief Tipton have been friends for for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say there's one piece of directing that I do quite admire in this episode, and it takes place during that dinner party scene, and it is right along the the, 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 the same area that you're talking about, and it's when George just sort of offhandedly hands the tray of cheese puffs over to Evie. Yep, yep. And... And the camera kind of focuses on the tray while the conversation is happening. And I do think that that's actually really nice, because... The conversation that's taking place is important. The dialogue is important, obviously, but even more important is the is the conscious choice of George to hand the tray to the nearest woman. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we get uh, so we get to the jail. We get, like I said, Al's dialogue about women's prisons and the fantasy. He even has the line. Uh, this solidly puts him in the devil's advocate territory of talking about how women's lib. I could never decide whether it was a whether it was a help or whether it was a hindrance. I'm like, oh, all right, here we go. And but what we get in this scene is Diana talking to the women, encouraging them to still stay strong despite everything, so on and so forth. Um, Chief Tipton comes in and. In the resulting scene, Sam shoves Tipton, and that and Sam changes history in that because he sets uh, a course where, which did not happen in the original history of George and Margaret ended up getting divorced because George leaves Margaret over over all of this. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know I, I will say it's worth adding that the the cause of of Sam getting physical with the chief is the fact that he starts to get physical with Diana. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, and Diana is, is, is very aggressive, um, with, with the chief. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, he does grab her. And then of course, you know, Sam intervenes. Um, and I, I think that again, you know, when you really start to take this thing apart and look at it, like, like we are, there's, there's so many things that you check the boxes of, of like, well, she did that right, she did that right, she did that right. You know, it's, it, it is a very, very well-written piece because what we learn about Diana later in the script and what that physical provocation would do to her um, really sets her on a course that, that, that does make a lot of sense, although I'll argue at the end that I don't necessarily agree with the, mm-hmm. the full resolution that we get. But 
Um, you know, it's it, it, she's a very interesting character that goes beyond just the you know the fiery instigator of the movement. You know, stereotype. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what we get in this scene is George shows up and talks Chief Tipton into letting Margaret and Susie out, which he first resists. Uh, but things like, you know, as a friend of 15 years, blah, blah, blah. And then we kind of get it laid in. I think, like, a little bit subtlety here, like, th- there's going to be a tit for tat. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm going to let, I'm gonna let uh, uh, Margaret and Susie out. Remember, hey, my son's up for that promotion. Right. You know, there's definitely the... Deciding, the, yeah, the, the, the deciding his future. pro quo. Yeah, yeah. Deciding his future, I think, is, yeah, is what they say, yeah. And, yeah. Um... And same as resistant to leave, but then Al assures him that don't worry, all the women are bailed out by morning, and that they will, right. that they will be okay. And then we get home. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, and then we're home, and and of course, you know, George is very, very concerned about how this is going to look for him. Oh, sure, um, yeah. Which the next morning is is even magnified by the fact that the picture is on the front page of the paper. Yep, yep, and. They have a little bit of an argument when they first get home. This is where we get like a full like mirror shot because they do like a nice thing of, of George arguing with Margaret in the mirror. And then yeah. the, the camera turns around and then we, we see Sam have that argument. But basically it's just kind of, uh, yeah, it's just kind of setting up the stakes. I can't really remember like any like real memorable dialogue from that scene. Then we get to the next morning, breakfast. Uh, George, George being George. Uh Wanting in, wanting his Friday omelets, and Sam is making pancakes. I do appreciate we get the reference to Samuel Beckett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Beckett's famous pancakes. Uh, not Sam Beckett. Mama Beckett. Yeah. The playwright? No, the playwright. Mama Beckett. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it is good. And, uh, you know, I, 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 we mentioned her before, but Megan Price, who plays Susie, uh, has a lot of really nice moments uh, throughout the course of this episode. Um, and I think that one of the things that she does well, and obviously the script aids her in, in this, is that um, you know, she's clearly figuring things out. This is someone in process. This is not someone like Diana who's come to a conclusion about what must be done. You know, this is not someone who is, is like Dora, uh, uh, Peter's wife, who is you know, absolutely pleased as punch to be told not to eat that cheese puff and, and and because she's pregnant and, you know, all this sort of stuff, you know, like she's, she's kind of somewhere trying to figure everything out. And I think that there's some really nice moments that, that, that give us insight into that process because she's not 100% against her dad. Like they have a contentious relationship. She would much rather him be accepting of, of her, you know, and, and her mother as equals as opposed to, you know, playing the subservient role in the patriarchy. But but at the same time, she's, you know, she's still, that's still her dad. And, and, and they're able to have this morning, they have this little moment with the with the, the, the pancake thing, the, the griddle cake thing, which I think is really nice. Mm-hmm. But even before then, she, uh, Sam and Susie have this discussion of, uh, you know, Susie is still mad, and Sam's like, "No, I'm not still mad." New day, new attitude. Yeah, which uh, I'm yeah. like, uh, yeah. Sam is so wonderfully naive at the start of this scene, but yeah. I think he needs to be so he can have that 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 turn at the end of the scene, like when George starts treating Sam basically like a woman, like like a second right. class citizen, uh, for Sam to have that that turn of you know later on. 
he says to Alec, I can't, can you believe that, that, that man? Yeah. 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 Which is a great moment. And, it, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the, one of the things that I, cause I didn't take a lot of notes, honestly, on this episode, um, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Uh, but one of the things that I did uh, ask is that, you know, do we look at this discussion that's taking place between Sam and Susie, you know, is this, is Sam man, mansplaining here, you know, by, by our modern terminology. And I think that the interesting answer to that question is that it's not a simple yes or no, because he has the benefit of the future. Like he knows what's going to happen 30 years from now, basically. He has the benefit of having been in a woman's shoes you know, on multiple occasions by this time, both as mother and, you know, uh, um, wife, etc. Um, and, and, and I think that the other thing is, is that he is, is trying to fill a role in the best way that he knows how. And, and so I think that he kind of gets, he gets, um, some benefits to him to, you know, some credits that doesn't necessarily make this feel strictly like it is mansplaining. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't think of it as mansplaining. I thought of it uh, him being a little bit naive about protesting and change and how you could change to happen. Totally. Um, and I will say that the first time that I watched this episode a couple of weeks ago, this was in the midst of the, the, the riots and the uprisings surrounding black lives matter. And you have the conversation happening on social media of people telling people, you know, don't be violent talking about the looting. You know, mm-hmm. this is not how you bring about change. Yep. Uh, basically uh, weaponizing the peaceful aspects of Martin Luther King against Right, black people protesting sometimes with violence, and it seemed uh, I, I didn't see it as mansplaining. I just saw it as being Sam being very simplistic about yep. the way change works. And I think in a better version of this episode, Sam would have had a learning moment at the end where he kind of realizes that maybe some of what he says is a, is a little bit naive. Uh, but then, on the same time, like that's that's always been Sam Beckett. He's a little bit Boy Scout. He's a little bit naive about about the way the world really works. Right. Well, and it's worth noting that for someone who frequently says violence is not the answer, how many times have we seen Sam Beckett resort to violence? Sam has killed. Sam has killed. <laughs> Sam has killed. So yeah, Sam's a little Sam's a little simplistic. Yeah. Here. Yeah. yeah. And I know and, and, you know and I will just say I, I don't mean to say that Sam is being hypocritical because I do believe that he, you know, genuinely it's one of the things that attracts me to the character as a young man and it attracted me as a you know as a boy it attracted me to the character that he does believe that violence is never the answer. Um but I do think that when he when he utters the line about how you know, riots and violence, you know, get you nowhere that you have to, you have to have a clear thought out, you know, tell people what it is that you want, that the system will work, all this sort of stuff. It, it, it is a kind of naivete that um, we are, we do see weaponized these days. Um, and I think in our current climate, it, you know, it, the, the system has been laid bare, um, as it has before, but, but in a way that, frankly, is more similar to what we've seen 
you know, during revolutionary times in other countries, whether it's, it's you know, the colonies revolting against British rule or, or the revolution in France or, or even the Russian Revolution, this idea that, you know, those in power, um, you know, deserve to be questioned. Those in power uh, should not be able to um, necessarily dictate the rules, that the people dictate the rules and those in power have to play by them just as much as the people do. And that when they stop doing that, that unfortunately, yeah, it seems based on history um, that the only way to get their attention is to get their attention yes. whatever, by whatever <laughs> means, by any means necessary, um, as a great man once said. So I think that, uh, I, I think that, yeah, that, that this scene, um, and the dialogue that they share, uh, is true to the character of Sam Beckett. Um, and, and that ultimately I, I don't know though, that it is the answer. Um, and, and I think that again, it's another thing that the ending, had it been a little different, could have really hit, you know, could have really landed in a way that it was just as meaningful and important for Sam as it is for the audience. Um, as it is, I, I, you know, I don't think that that's what we got. Um, when, when, when George also, there's a great moment between George and Susie when he goes to hug um, yeah, yeah, uh, I wrote that down. Uh, yeah. Uh, Susie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what did you think of that? Uh, I, I just wrote out, you can't violate someone's space whenever you feel like it. And he responds, all these years, I thought it was just a hug. Yeah. And that, you know, uh, you know, this episode takes place in 1968. It was written in, in late 1992. Conversation we're still having today. I think we, that, that conversation has progressed a lot in the last couple of years oh, yeah. with the Me Too movement. Um, but, but yeah, that is that is hey. nothing, that is nothing new. Very timely. Yeah, and it's and you know what I immediately thought of when he said it. I I didn't think I didn't think of of Trump, and you know his ugly horrible comments. I didn't think of you know of, of all the Me Too stuff and Harvey Weinstein and all this sort of stuff. I thought of Joe Biden. That's exactly who I thought of. Yeah, yeah. because it's it's almost it's almost what. Joe said, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, it's, it's almost the same thing. And, and I think that it's part of, it, it, you know, it's part of like the dialogue that, that, you know, that Sam is having with, with Susie and Diana and part of the dialogue that, uh, that Al is trying to have with Sam at times as well, that there's this idea that, you know, what, what, what has been taught and ignorance are excuses for, you know, for, for not growing and changing and understanding and evolving. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that this episode does really well with the storyline that you mentioned earlier might have been better as the A storyline is that there's a really wonderful moment at the dinner table towards the end where we start to see some progress and it's really, really nice. Um, now, of course, also by the end of this scene, we do get one of the more heated moments between George and Sam. Oh, um, yeah. Sam's, Sam's pissed. Yeah. Well, before <laughs> that, I mean, let's go back and let's talk about, this is where they sure. really, they lay out the promotion and that plot. Yes. Line. Yes. And, I mean, just like all the dialogue surrounding the fact that, that George feels like he needs to give it to Peter because him and Chief Tipton are friends, because Peter has a family to attend to, whereas Evie does not like Evie or Ebby has her husband to take care of her, but then he twisted. Oh, this is something I missed on the first viewing, and it comes back around where he throws out like, "Oh, if I if I give it to Ebby, I can pay her less." 
and he just says it's so offhand, like it's like it's a fact of life. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know, there's an interesting bit of, of discussion about. Um, family as well, you know, the idea that, you know, Peter has to take care of his family, you know, well, so does Evie. Well, yeah, of course, but she'll do that at home. Yeah. You know, like, like, like there's no, there's no notion that, that she would be able to do it in the position of having the job. And we do get, you know, we do get some conversation later on in the episode that does, you know, really start to push forward the idea that more women are going to be entering the workforce and that, you know, there's going to be more of that. And it's interesting because one of the numbers that gets mentioned at one point is um, Diana says something to uh, Susie about 7%, um, only 7% of lawyers are, are women. Um, and now that number in the United States is up to 60%, um, which is great. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them are also paid less and aren't partners, um, which is insane when you think about the fact that the majority of lawyers are women and yet the majority of partners and, you know, the highest wage earners are still men. Um, however, you know, it's also important to look at that as, 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 as a leap forward based off of where we were, you know, 50 years ago in this episode. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is, it is a really wonderful moment that, that I think boils down the, you know, the, the, the issues at, at hand, um, in a wonderful way because a, it's conversational. It's not, you know, it's not people just spouting facts. It's just, it's an actual conversation between two people that sheds light on what is actually happening and why you have people like Diana, you know, fighting for what they're fighting for and why you have somebody like Susie who's taking her mom to these rallies. And I think that it's a really, really wonderful scene in mm-hmm. that respect. Sure. And then uh, this is when uh, George Jr., he comes in with the newspaper. This is one subtle bit. Oh, poor I, George Jr. <laughs> poor George Jr. This is one subtle bit that I really enjoyed upon the second viewing is uh, he's like, oh, hey, mom, you made the morning, morning newspaper. And then they show a close-up of, of Margaret holding the bra and George Jr. says, what's burning? Yeah. And yeah. it's the griddle cakes. That, right, right. I did right. appreciate that. Yeah. 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 No, George, George Jr. actually does have a couple of, of, of kind of great moments, but you also feel pretty sympathetic for him because uh, he gets he gets brushed off by everyone, really. Oh, sure. Like George, George Senior does it to him. Uh, Sam does it to him. Like it's like, and then he just disappears. And then we never see from him and then, again. Yeah, he just yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, the newspaper, the picture in the newspaper, that's what starts the fight. Right. Uh, where yeah. basically he he, uh, yeah. I mean, just lays out like you're gonna, you know, I want my Margaret back. Go pick up my dry cleaning today yada, 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 and that's when Sam and George get up in each other's face. I think Al is there, and, like, Al's saying, like, no, 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 you got to back off, because by now we know, like, Sam's main mission is to help Diana St. Cloud. Yeah. But... Keep her alive. By shoving Chief Tempton, he sent another course of history in a place where their marriage is going to break up. So Al is like, no, like, no, don't be confrontational. Um, but, yeah, Sam is... Same is very confrontational. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. To the point that when George leaves, he actually throws the apron at the place sure. where George had been standing. In a yeah. very in a very aggressive manner. Like, this yeah. isn't, like, just sort of a simple, like, ah, oh, you. Like, it, you know, he throws it in such a way that even as a balled-up piece of fabric, it probably would have stung if it hit somebody. You know? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, 
and yeah, he's on the he's on the warpath, and he and, and he uh, he ends up uh, even you know, bringing it against Al. Mm-hmm. Like as as you know, then the next scene after the scene ends when he when he goes into the room to start talking to Al, he's pretty you know he's just he's he's had it up to yeah. here. You know, well Al is not helping because Al is in very much devil's advocate position. Like he, this is the way George is saying that I love you. He's yep. he's of this thing, and he's he's talking about. George, like, this isn't how Al behaves himself. And that's going to come back to play in a later scene. Uh, Also in the scene, we see some women's libs books on the table. Mm -hmm. Um, We do, uh, uh, I was looking on on Al's place. Uh, He points out that... uh, that a lot of those books, they are they are accurate. There are a couple of those books. They were written actually in the nineteen seventies, so they're a bit out of place. But yeah, but uh, you know, you know what's on Susie's and Margaret's mind right now, right? Right? Yeah. You know, I, I want to go back to real quick what you were saying about Al. Is that Al says that thing um, that I was kind of mentioning earlier? He has the line. Um, George and all the other Georges in the world, they have no idea that they're denigrating women. It's just they were never taught to behave any other way. And I and I, and the thing is, is like that is I mean, that is an argument that we hear plenty, in, you know, from any any time there's any kind of oppression whatsoever. At some point that kind of gets brought up in order so that we can kind of like sympathize or empathize with the oppressors. And while I don't think it's completely out of place, I think that the thing that it misses is they're being taught right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, here's the fucking lesson plan. Yeah. Like, I'm giving it to you. And for you to just say, well, I don't know any better because I was never taught any way. It's, just, it's like it's even more of a slap in the face because it's just sort of like, I'm teaching you right now, mm-hmm. you know? And, 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 and so it, it's like it's a frustrating thing for Al to say. And it's frustrating for two parts. One, because of what I just said, but also because, yeah, there's some truth to it. But that doesn't make it okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing more smart to add to that. Um, but yeah, so uh, the crux of the scene, the end of the scene, is Sam has to get Diana St. Cloud to do something different other than the protest she is planning because that's where she's going to be shot later. Am I correct in that? Earlier in the episode, yeah. it's Diana's going to be shot, but then later it yes. turns into Susie being shot. Yes. Am I correct yes, in that? that is okay. correct. Yep, you I, are I, correct in that. I got to a point later in the episode, and I thought I, I, thought, I, got, I, thought I got something wrong. No, um, it changes. Yeah, it changes, um, which is also kind of interesting. And I think is, is, is another, you know, I, I feel like it's the type of thing that, um, that Pratt kind of slides under the radar a little bit by not making it like a focal point of the episode, but the idea that Sam is changing things as he goes along. And it's, and it's something that, you know, in a show that's, that's about time travel that's been on the air for five years hasn't actually happened a lot. It's no. not a device that's been used multiple times. This isn't the only time it gets used. This isn't the first time it gets used. But it's but it's nice to have it thrown in there. Sure. I mean, it's a way, yeah, to not keep it. It's yeah, it keeps it away from like the one ultimate goal, the thing, and it keeps it more centered in the present, the characters. I don't know if that even makes sense or not. Anyway, no, it totally uh, makes sense, yeah. and you're absolutely right. Uh, so the next shot, uh, Sam is driving, and we get like the one voiceover monologue of episode but Sam talking about how all he remembered much from women's lib was like something that his mom said like it was good for other women just not for her something to that effect um, 
emails landing there. Uh, still talking about like the women's love movement. Still with all the right on their side, he couldn't condone Diana's promotion of violence. Yeah. And this is and this is another wonderful moment where we get it juxtaposed with a scene between Diana and Susie. Uh, and what are they talking about at that very moment but oppression and violence? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the thing is, is while Sam is sort of almost philosophizing about the you know, nonviolence as being the answer, Diana is talking about a very real pain and memory of violence perpetrated against her by her own father. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it's another wonderful moment for, for the script um, because it shows this idealized version of life that Sam is, is always chasing after, uh, which I think is the theme of the whole show, really. You know, he's out there setting right what once went wrong. And then we get this very real, messy, honest-to-goodness situation with Diana, who's telling us about a man who abused her physically and mentally and emotionally and was also her ultimate role model for men, her father. And and seeing her ultimate role model for women, her mother, just stand by and accept it because she was afraid. And so Diana has gone in, you know, is, is not going to be afraid. She's going to stand up. She's not going to allow women to be talked down to, to be made to feel small or less than. You know, that's what she's fighting for. The really fascinating thing is, and it's something that comes into play later, is that at the same time, Diana has learned everything she knows from those same people. So what is she willing to use against the people that are putting her down or threatening her? Violence and, you know, and, 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 and hateful words. And going back to the scene at the very beginning that you're talking about where she gets those zingers in against our, you know, our, our frequent guest star here is that is that she's basically using their playbook against them, you know? And I think that it's, it's, it's just, I, I don't know, Diana is, is actually a really, really, really wonderful character, which is why I think that the ending underserves her, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we get uh, Sam showing up to talk her out of doing the protest, and he actually, he actually gets through uh, instead of violence to do a, to do a, a staged sit-in which is ultimately what's yeah. going to happen later on in the episode. Uh, and Al throws out the idea that it's better press. Um, right, right. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's better press. We should also note that before this scene starts, we have a shot of Chief Tipton sitting outside the women's collective office writing, right. writing some stuff down on a clipboard. And that comes back into play here in just a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's a really nice scene. And I think that, you know, Sam is, is, is existing in that. You know, this is great. This is one of those great examples where I feel like Sam is, is genuinely happening to the episode. It's not happening to Sam. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, and as I think about it more in, in conversation, I'm wondering if this is true. There's almost something somewhat subversive about the nature of this episode and its treatment of Sam. Because if we look at it in a very straight sort of way, and we just look at Sam being Sam, great. But if you start to look at the subtext and look at it as potentially a commentary on Sam and his role, it's, it's really kind of interesting because it, it gives us these opposing points of view, and it does make you wonder, up until the much maligned by me ending, is Sam right? 
Like, is he right? Is he right to say that this is what you should be doing? It's easy for Sam to say that knowing that it's going to result in someone's death at the end of the episode. But on the whole, I don't know. Like I said, when I first rewatched this episode, it was like two or three weeks ago when we were at the the height of the uprisings uh, that were getting you know physically violent around around Black Lives Matter. I was just kind of watching Sam say these lines when I was rewatching it then, just kind of cringing, just kind of like you yeah. know, uh, you know, me sitting in on the northwest side of Chicago and my peaceful neighborhood. You know, knowing at that time that physically there were protests going on downtown that were that were turning violent. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and then it, we complicated like who's making it violent? How are police contributing to that? Blah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it. Yeah. It gets way more complicated out of the scope of our little podcast. But yeah. Right, and, and it's worth noting that we are still seeing violence. Like here oh, we God. are you know, in the middle of July and, 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 and we're still seeing, you know, the, these horrible things happen. And, and, um, you know, that, 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 that most of the, the stories that I'm reading recently are the result of, you know, impact rounds being fired at someone's head or, sure. or whatnot by, by, by law enforcement. And so it's, it, yeah, I, I, it's a, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, and maybe it is our current perspective and context that we have, but I think again, you know, just the, the, the 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 thing that we try to do in the podcast and, and and providing that context is that when you look at it where Sam is talking from his 1990s point of view to these people in the 60s and that's the other thing it's not like it's not like he's saying things that haven't been said and haven't been I mean we're in the midst of the 60s there's plenty I mean the Watts right was in 65 you know, we're about ready to have more riots in 68 after the assassination of Martin Luther King. You know, there, 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 there was rioting in, in Paris. There's, I mean, there's like, we're, we're you know, they're, they're still in the midst of these things happening. Um, you know, the, the 60s as a decade was incredibly tumultuous. And so, you, you know, looking at it from those different perspectives and our perspective now, there isn't, there is just a part of me that wonders if, you know, if, if by writing... Sam in a way that is very true to character, obviously, and surrounding him with these situations and these other characters, uh, if, if Pratt was almost asking questions about Sam, you know, and asking questions about, does his idealism work? And, and, and it makes me wonder, it's like, was she asking that question for herself as well? That's a great question. Let's call her up. I know. <laughs> Let's get her. <laughs> hey, uh, let's let's talk about this episode that you obviously may have some not great feelings around. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, there's uh, it, we, we talked about before on the podcast. Uh, you and me, we are obviously very left leaning, very liberal, and we wear that badge very proudly. And sometimes we are confused when we encounter very conservative-leaning Quantum Leap fans because, (laughs) hey, have you watched the show? Right, right, right. But I feel like this is an episode where it almost, like with with Sam's thoughts on like, you know, violence or not violence, whether that works in protest, it almost leans more towards kind of... um, 
I want to say conservative, but you know, even like when the protests started a few weeks ago, like I even saw like some of my liberal friends like posting things like "violence is having the answer," blah 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 blah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is an episode where, where Sam kind of leans that way. He's like, "Oh, okay, I can I can kind of see the, like the the conservative leaning Sam coming out." Yeah, I can kind of see. I've you know we talked about before. Like I've seen the charge leveled at Quantum Leap before. That Quantum Leap is really just the conservative version of Doctor Who. <laughs> and like with this, with Sam's attitude towards protests, I can see that a little bit. Yeah, uh, I, I guess maybe um, like you said, if it's a little bit subversive and, and Pratt was kind of examining that, I would love for like Sam to like grow a little bit at the end right? of the episode. And I think that that, yeah, you know what, in the interest of pushing forward, let's push forward, let's get to that ending, because I think that a lot of what we really want to say can come out can come out there. But I, I completely agree with that, Dennis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so let's highlight. So what, uh, on our way there, what are some highlights? This is another part, this is something I didn't think about until we got recording. So later on, we have a scene where Al comes back in and he says that him and Tina are fighting because in talking to Tina yeah. about Sam's situation, Tina levels with Al and says, well, no, you're kind of like George. And Al is a bit incredulous by it. And I realize we never get a resolution to that, to that plot. Yeah. Um, now, we've had fights happen off screen between Al and Tina before, but usually we get some kind of resolution off camera. You know, we've compared this episode with What Price Gloria you know, they, they have a very interesting dynamic in that episode because uh, Al and Tina are having relationship troubles because Al is incredibly attracted to Sam. Right. In that episode. And we get the resolution of that story at the end of the episode. We don't get any resolution to Al and Tina's fight. Right. At the end of this episode. <laughs> um, some more back and forth over the promotion. Um we get a preview of the of the men's club because we have a scene a brief scene that takes place at the men's club where we're kind of like more established George and uh, George and Peter's relationship. Oh, and also Chief Tipton drops that he's taking names down of everybody who's going in the women's collective office because the FBI thinks they're basically a terrorist threat, and he's right. going to turn the names over. And you know we get that tit for tat where Tipton says, "I won't give them Susie and Margaret's name." Peter's promotion. Eh, 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 eh. Um, so we get those stakes brought about. We get the dinner. We get um, the dinner, the promotion. Um, Sam urges Evie to um, to stand up for herself, and she goes out and stands up to Peter. And uh, yeah, yeah, which is you know I so. Starting with the the actual dinner party and then going into the sit-in. Sure. Um, you know, I feel like that this is that that, that we're we're in the home stretch here. This is you know this is this is our, our the beginning of our end. Uh, the dinner party scene, playing off of what we got from the dinner party at the beginning, works so well. And if anything, I feel like it could have maybe we could have gotten more of it. Um, would have been nice uh, because. The, uh, uh, you know, Peter, dear God, Peter, you know, he tells the same joke twice in this episode. Do you notice that? Yeah. 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 What's the men's club? And then he tells it again at the dinner party. 
Yeah. Yeah. Clearly yeah. not cognizant of, like, one, it's a horrible joke anyway, but two, telling the joke in front of women. Right. At the party. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, wait till my wife finds out, too. Um, anyway, uh, he, you know, Peter would, Peter would fit very, very well with our Republican Congress members that we have oh, right now. Yeah. Like some of what he says is literally about nationalized healthcare is literally, you know, conservative playbook 101. And I love, I love Evie's deconstruction of it. Because, you know, she's so spot on and she backs it up with these wonderful facts and talking about progress and moving forward. And why would we want to use the playbook from the 50s when we're getting ready to move on into the 70s? Mm-hmm. And it's and, and here's and here's the interesting thing that happens, because you can see as George is listening to all this, he's not dismissing it out of hat. He's not just sort of like, nah, go back to the kitchen. You know what no, I mean? Like, he's very much. Part, yeah. Yeah, and and he even asked her like, why didn't you? Why didn't you say this earlier in the meeting? And her response is wonderful because she's like, I didn't think anybody would listen. Yeah, and and it's one of those things. It's like, but, isn't but, it the but, but, but inserted in there is Peter telling, oh, someone said one too many. We're gonna cut you off. Yeah, yeah. And but 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 how wonderful is it? Not not wonderful, but isn't it the damnedest thing that here we have this woman standing up for herself. And, and telling, you know, these people what she thinks is right and what we should be doing, what, what's going to benefit the company. And that even though he's been hearing it from his wife and his daughter for the previous, you know, 35 minutes of this episode, that it takes this outsider point of view to actually get through to him. Mm-hmm. And it does get through to him. And I, and I, I just, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it, again, it's just a really, really nice scene. It's really well done. Um, I, I think it, it reinforces that, you know, Peter's a jerk, yeah. uh, and, uh, and that Avery's right. And, and, and that George is listening, which mm-hmm. is, which is really, really nice actually. Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, Susie's been locked in her room to keep her from going to the sit-in. Right, right, because George, George told her to go to her room. Yeah, George has <laughs> threatened to leave Margaret if she's, like, on the same block as Diana St. Cloud, as he puts it. But yeah. Al shows up at the dinner party. Turns out Susie snuck out. She's on her way there. Sam's got to got to die by the bear. We, uh, it, it's interesting. We get a scene of uh, Susie and Diana driving to do the sit-in, and we get more of Diana's background with with how abusive her father was, and we get it dropped that... She actually almost killed her father over yeah. over all of this. And then later, when Sam is driving to the sit-in, I missed this the first time, but Al even says that he was eavesdropping on that conversation, and he heard that. So this is the inspiration of, of how Diana is going to get violent at the Yeah. Uh, and it works so well, because mm-hmm. all I could think of is that we have seen, heard, both in real life, in fiction before, the the sins of the father visited upon the son so many times. We have seen that trope beaten into the ground, both, again, in reality and in fiction, that, you know, oh, I was the son of an abusive alcoholic father, and now I'm, you know, I, I, I'm an abusive alcoholic, and that's, you know, that's my excuse or whatever, basically. And what an interesting turn to have it explicitly played out for us that, 
you know, what I was mentioning earlier, that here Diana has taken those same cues from her father and it's informed the person that she is and the lengths to which she is willing to go. Absolutely. Yeah. So this would be like, oh, like, yeah, she could actually physically get violent. Um, yeah. So then we get to the sit-in. We have a note from uh, uh, Flanners, the... the uh, I don't know, the owner, but who, who runs the, oh. the the men's club. There hasn't been a woman in the dining room in over 200 years. Uh, <laughs> and then we get to the to the actual sit-in, Chief Tipton coming in, and uh, plot twist, when things get physical, it's actually Susie who grabs Tipton's gun. Yep. Because um, Tipton gets, I, I, I mean, frankly, Tipton gets unnecessarily rough with Oh, he does. The Diana. Uh, and that's, and, yeah, because they, and I wondered this like a little bit of a subversive thing, like, Tipton is presented almost, he, he's kind of sympathetic. Like, you, you're, you're supposed to, like, not necessarily like him, but see his point right. of view a little bit. But he expects the tit for tat for his son. And every time he's in the presence of a woman in this episode, he gets physically violent. Yeah. And and let's face it, how can how can we not you know see this this scene of peaceful protesters mm-hmm. and law enforcement reacting in you know in a physical manner, and and of course coming up with the litany of reasons you know well you're trespassing or you're you know unlawful assembly or blah blah you know, throw out the laundry list of reasons why you're infringing on these people's right of free speech basically. Um, and furthermore, you know, the right of them to, to have their own personal safety uh, considered first and foremost. Um, that, 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 that physical provocation comes from him. You know, no one throws anything at him. No one stands up to him. Sure. No one spits in his face. No one, you know what I mean? Like, it comes from him. He, he, he assaults um, Diana. Um, she's bleeding from the lips. Susie has grabbed the gun. Diana grabs the gun from Susie. And she's ready to fire. Whereas Susie does it in sort of more of an element of like, you know, all right, all right, all right, enough is enough. I got the power, so listen to me sort of thing. Well, I mean, she, I mean, she's also, we haven't talked about this, like Susie is being influenced by Diana yes. and some of her philosophy to an almost unhealthy degree. Like she is romanticizing Diana to a point that even though Susie isn't an inherently violent person, She's starting to pick that up, right? So like, because she does, yeah. So her grabbing the gun is is influenced by some of Diana's philosophy, right? Well, it's also interesting to note too that in the conversation that the two of them have in the car ride over there, um, which we get the Field of Dreams scene from. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but when they're having that 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 conversation in the car, uh, and Diana divulges the information that she almost killed him. Um, you know, Susie is very taken aback by that. Like, like the, the idea to her, I think she even says something akin to this, that it's like, it's like, well, we'll do everything, but, you know, it's like, okay, I, I'm on board with your violence, but no, no, no killing. Like we'd never go that far. Mm -hmm. And now here she is in a situation where she has a weapon, which has no other intention whatsoever, but to take a human life. And she's holding it in her hands. And, 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 you know, I think, I, I, I still think that she's not going to, to actually kill anyone. I don't think no. that is her intent or, or, or would be even something that she could possibly fathom herself doing. But then Diana takes the gun. And I think initially Susie's just sort of like, 
oh yes, you're you're in charge. You take the gun. But then I think you can even see it on Susie's face as she recognizes the fact that Diana is indeed posing a mortal threat now to the chief. Yeah. That this isn't a, this isn't a case of like we'll do everything but. This is a case where Diana is like, I'm going to kill you to make a point. Yeah. Well, not just Susie. There's one shot like when when. Diana really starts a break. There's one very specific, deliberate shot where they pan across all of the young women at this yeah. protest, and you realize like Diana is losing everybody. And the and the one waiter, the one waiter's expression on his face when she cocks the gun. Did mm. you catch this? No, I missed. Oh that. God. There's one waiter, and the expression on his face is just sort of like an expression of just sort of like, oh, and it's sort of, and it's like, it's like I don't get paid. Where, where did that come shit. from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so yeah, but yeah, Sam, uh, Sam is trying to talk her off the ledge. It, it, it's all the things we talked about, like you know, have you basically? He's trying to appeal to her logic, like, did you apply for membership to the men's club? Blah 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 blah. This is this is stuff. I'm like, oh oh, naive. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I get like part of it, like he's trying to talk her off of the ledge. Uh, But actually he doesn't work. Uh, He doesn't talk her off the ledge. She goes to shoot. It's a mixture of Susie pushing Diana and Sam pushing Tipton. The shot misses. Diana is quickly snatched up. Um, I I, I do have issues with, with the way Diana breaks down because it's... she gets illegitimized by her getting emotional and her having yep. an emotional break. Yep. And the fact that later on when she after she spends five years in prison, that after she comes out, she ends up becoming a powerful force in the women's liberation movement. It gets lost by George and Margaret's coming back together at the end of the episode. Yeah. So here's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think that this is the moment where Deborah Pratt has left the office and Chris Abbott comes in and starts tinkering with her script and Don Belisario is happy that this is done and so is Bob Holm and, and so is whoever else that didn't want Deborah Pratt to you know have her female director or whatever. Because this ending does exactly what you said. It, it delegitimizes Diana completely. And it has Sam's idealized, and here's where, and here's why I will say, I don't disagree with a lot of what Sam says in theory. Ideally, yes, that is what would work. It would work to petition the system, basically. It would work to go to the system, and it would work to actually, you know, change it from within. But unfortunately, that's not the reality that so many of these women are facing. And that's not the reality that they're fighting against. And so and so I think, unfortunately, what happens here is it's all undercut by the men getting to have the final word. And and. You know, the, 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 the patriarchy, which is the legal system of America in 1967, gets to put Diana in jail and silence her, effectively. The, you know, the, the, the man who is our lead character, Sam Beckett, gets to be the one who is right and ends up sort of, you know, telling uh, uh, all of these, 
you know, people that we need to work from within and change things this way because your way is wrong. And then on top of all that, we get the police chief kind of in a folksy, you know, manner, just being like, well, I don't agree with everything you said, but some of what you said, you had a point. And it's just so shitty. It's like, I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't abide by that. And then of course we get George coming in and George gets to get what he wants, which is a reconciliation and some sugar from his, from his woman. And it just, it, it really does undercut so much of what we've seen prior to that. And it, and it's unfortunate in my yeah. opinion. And all of that, it's, I don't know if it's homophobic, transphobic, whatever it is. It's just like the, like the, the general, like cheap comedy ickiness of, George clearly wanting a kiss at the end of their reconciliation and Sam being squeamish over it. Like, we lose, like, a lot of, like, all of the, the end of episode details that Al gives us of Diana gets out of prison, she ends up being, you know, uh, a powerful force in the women's limb movement. Margaret and Susie, they go on to become a powerful force. Oh, and by the way, uh, Ebby gets the promotion over Peter and gets it at equal pay. That's actually the last line yeah. of the leap. And that's all lost because we're all focused on the physical squeamishness of, of Al not wanting to kiss George. Now, first off, like you know, when we were watching the episode together, Betsy was like, "Who who, who cares if they get divorced? Good, right? right? Get divorced." In a better version of this episode, Margaret would choose to leave George. When or, it's all said, oh, wouldn't that have been a great twist? When 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 if Al were to drop, that after Sam leaps out, Margaret ends up leaving George. Right? I completely agree. And I think, you know, another thing that, that, that I can't help but wonder is that how much better would it have been if instead of Al being the one that says Evie gets the promotion, if it had been George coming in and George seeking to reconcile with Margaret and being like, Margaret, you're right. And what I have seen and heard from you in these past couple of days, and what I just saw now between my wife and my daughter, and, and, and the power that you both exhibited in taking care of this situation, in a room full of these big, strong policemen, you know, that these two women are the If it would have been George who says, oh, and by the way, I'm giving Evie that promotion because it's the right thing to do. And then George just leaves. Not not any sort of reconciliation, not any of the homophobic, transphobic ickiness sure. that we get. None of that. George just leaves. And we see Sam there with Al. And then and then who cares whether or not they stay together? I'm like you. Who cares? Like Al can say whatever he wants. He says he says, you know, hey, it worked. You know, George does this, this, and this, and you know, this happens and they stay married and you know, whatever. Or or you know, they don't stay married. It doesn't matter. It's a non-point because the point is, is that we see, we would actually see that George has been changed instead of having this token thrown our way of like, Evie gets the promotion. Like, it's almost how I feel like Deborah Pratt had to have felt about this episode in some ways, where she got the token of being like, yeah, we'll make your episode, but we're going to make a couple changes. Ah, uh, yeah. 
Which I know is not the case, because at this point, Deborah Pratt is a proven commodity. She's by far the most talented writer who's ever worked on the show. Yeah. She's, you know, she's incredible. Her work speaks for itself. But again, let's face it, we also live in reality. She just divorced the producer and creator of the show. Uh, you know, she's, she's trying to get this script done that she really believes in. She wants it done a certain way. And we know for a fact that those things didn't all come her way. Yeah. So... Make of that what you will, but sure. it does feel like some changes got made, and they and they hampered what could have been, honestly, in some ways, what could have truly been the last great episode of Quantum Leap up until the finale. Sure, yeah. And, and I've said before, uh, I, I fully give Deborah Pratt co-creator credit for the series. doesn't matter what the credits say. She was married to Belisario. You know that he was bouncing ideas off of her, and she was bouncing ideas back. She's a co-creator of the series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, this is, uh, is this the last regular episode of the series? I believe so, yeah. Because I if, think if it's, look- uh, without, without naming them, I'm just going to go through, uh, uh, real life celebrity. I'll name them. Dr. Ruth, uh, Blood Moon, Vampire, Return of the Evil Leaper. Evil Leaper, Celebrity, uh. No, there's, there's one more regular episode, one more straightforward regular episode. Uh, Which uh, one is that? Sam, Sam, oh. leaps, Sam leaps out of his timeline. Sam leaps into Elvis, and then the last episode. So yeah, this is the last, <laughs> second to last, straightforward regular episode of the series. I don't even think we can count the Beast Within though as being a regular episode. I think even the Beast Within is a gimmicky episode. Well, it, 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 it gets gimmicky at the end, but by this point, it, it, it's that it's that trademark. Quantum Leap gimmick end that they've used as far back as Portrait for Trojan. Sure. <laughs> so sure. Uh, so I would consider that a regular episode. Yeah. No, that's uh, fair. Yeah. I mean, I do think you know. I think that we'll, we'll, look. I'm not going to say that all of what we have left to talk about is crap. Um, but no, not, not crap at all. But. Like like we've said before in previous episodes, they were obviously trying something new in the fifth season. It's yeah. easy to drag the fifth season because it didn't work and the show got canceled. Yeah, but this is the last straightforward, second to last straightforward regular episode. Not necessarily, not necessarily to say everything else is crap, but yeah, right. Yeah, I mean the next episode isn't great. It's not. It's like, <laughs> I, I know as a preview for next week's episode. He's, so at the end, we see that Sam leaps into Doctor Ruth, uh, which I would say for for Betsy, who was a casual viewer of the show, hasn't seen most of the episodes. She was genuinely kind of pleasantly surprised to see that Sam had leaped into Doctor Ruth. Uh, that that's an episode that she's interested in seeing. Um, I I like moments of Doctor Ruth not because of Sam's leap, but the relationship that Dr. Ruth and Al have in the waiting room. Mm. Yeah, okay, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that yet. It's been a while since I've seen the episode, but you're right. Those are actually some really nice scenes. So uh, that's why I'm looking They're forward fun. to revisiting that one. Um, yeah. But yeah, to wrap this up, it's funny. You always bring up the MacGyver project. I, I looked him up on this one. Did you look up his, yes. uh, his thoughts on this? I episode? did. Go ahead. Yeah, mm-hmm. this, this is this is your bag. You always talk about <laughs> what he has to say. 
Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, he, he isn't a very big fan uh, of this one. He doesn't find it very enjoyable or rewatchable um, and thinks that the dialogue is stilted and cliched, comparing it to The Color of Truth, uh, which is funny because obviously they're both written by Deborah Pratt and also funny because I disagree with him on both counts. Um, you know, I don't think... I, I, I think when you watch this episode, and it's and, it, and, and it's one of the reasons why in some ways, if I could go back and revisit some episodes, I think Raped might actually be one of the ones I revisit. I still don't think Raped is a good episode. I do think, however, that some of my comments were a little too harsh on it based on a sort of a current point of view, um, as opposed to, you know, taking it and really fully contextualizing it in the time that it was written and the time that it took place. Um, however, it, you know, using that same argument, I would look at this episode and I would think, you know, I don't, I don't think it's not like in 1992, we had seen a lot of episodes like this on TV. You know, we, we, we didn't, we didn't see these types of conversations happening in quite the same way. We would start to see it more and more. Certainly we'd seen it explored a bit before now, and certainly some shows had done it in very subtle and and subversive ways um, prior to this, but really when you think about it for when it aired, I don't think it comes off that way at all. Um, And I think some of the dialogue works really, really well, and some of the conversations that are taking place, um, uh, you know, remind me of the very best of theater, because I tend to think that my favorite plays are the plays that I go to see that have two people having a very real conversation that doesn't mean at all what they're actually talking about, and I I think that there are a couple of times in this episode where you hit on that, where people are just having a real conversation and then, and, and, and then all this other stuff kind of is there and it's a little bit more explicit in this episode, but anyway, uh, all that to say that, yeah, it is, it is one of those times when I, when I don't, when I don't necessarily agree with uh, our friend over at the MacGyver project. Um, but it's interesting. The mind reels, which is, uh, another, um, website slash blog that has been talking about quantum leap. Um, this is actually from about three years ago. Um, they, it's interesting because the reviews that come out are, they're done in, in pairs. So this one actually does both liberation and Dr. Ruth, um, and, uh, is, is very complimentary to, um, liberation. Um, in fact says, I quite like this episode. Pratt has always been one of the strongest writers on the series. And anytime I see her name in the credits, I know I'm in for something good and this doesn't disappoint. Um, which I, I mostly agree with that. You know, I, 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 I would say I 90% agree with that. Um, until the end. Um, so it's interesting too, cause over at Al's place, um, there are a lot of folks, it seems like are kind of middling on this episode. You know, it, it gets more average ratings, um, than the, than the above average. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it, I kind of lost the train, but, but, but basically that, that I think that it's an episode that it's not necessarily remembered as, as one of Pratt's strongest episodes or certainly not one of the strongest of quantum leap. But as far as season five goes, um, I think when we take stock of the whole season, it's actually probably going to be, you know, easily in the top half of the episodes. Yeah. Uh, like I said, if not like the top quarter earlier season, uh, it might've fared better. You know, uh, we totally skipped over uh, looking at the actors for the most part, aside from uh, Susie. I don't want to do this whole thing, uh, whole thing there. But I do want to call out Max Gale as George, what yes. I remember him from as a kid. Barney Miller. That's which right. Which I don't remember really ever watching a full episode all the way through that I can remember. I just remember, like, Barney Miller seemed to be everywhere in reruns when I was a yeah. kid. 
So when I was a kid and I first watched this particular episode of Quantum Leap, I was like, oh, the guy from Barney Miller. Yeah, yeah, and and man, what a career! I mean, uh, this guy has 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 done just over the past fifty years, um, so 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 much TV. Um, you know, a few films here and there, but mostly uh, uh, television, and and just you know, hit uh, especially all the big shows of the '80s, pretty much. Um, you know, and even and, and even into the '90s, um, you know, lots of guest starring you know roles, etc. Uh, most recently was seen um, in. General Hospital, not, yeah. Uh, General Hospital, yeah. Played a, a character. Um, from what I could gather, I did a brief little bit of research um, that uh, had, had been originated by another man, um, but he took over the role um, a couple of years ago. And that this was a you know just a murderous, horrible, lying, you know, awful human being. Um, but interestingly enough, his latest storyline, maybe last storyline involves him, um, being sent to a, a long-term memory care, uh, facility as he deals with dementia oh, wow. and, uh, and trying to, you know, maintain his relationship with his wife and also give like his wife, his blessing to see someone else, like a like kind of interesting shit, you know, especially like in the con and it could be horrible, uh, who knows, but, but just uh, when I was reading about it, I was like, Oh, that's really kind of interesting. You know, speaking of something um, I have not thought yeah. about in this entire pandemic, what the hell are soap operas doing? They gotta be shut down. I think a lot of them are airing like best of episodes, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I had not even thought about that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, anyway. Right? Uh, it's pretty, to bring it back around to Quantum Leap. So, uh, like we said, he was on uh, Barney Miller. It looks like he was in all but one episode of Barney Miller. His last name, his character's last name on Barney Miller was Wojohowitz, which is Donna's dad's name. Donna, right. of course, being Sam's fiance, later wife, from earlier in the series. Yeah. Anyway, just bring that back around. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, I mean, we didn't talk about it too much, and there's no reason to talk about it, you know, too, too, too much. But uh, um, it is interesting to note too that um, Deborah Van Valkenburg, who plays Diana St. Cloud, uh, also a very lengthy career um, stretching back to uh, the uh, 1979, um, The Warriors was her uh, her first film. Um, and she also gets our Star Trek uh, shout-out as she was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, played Detective Preston in Past Tense Part 2. Uh, Past Tense, a two-parter of Deep Space Nine, which is quite fantastic. Fairly prescient, unfortunately. Um, and uh, uh, worth worth checking out if you've not seen it. And, and one of the, I, I would say it's actually, even if you've never seen Quantum, or excuse me, Star Trek Deep Space Nine before, you could just jump into that two-parter and, and probably still enjoy it. Um, and then Megan Price obviously plays Susie. Um, very lengthy uh, television career, uh, done quite a bit of stuff, and this was her very first uh, role. Oh, wow. Actually. Um, so, yeah, this was this was the first thing that she did. Very cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's so. I think we we've, we've summed up our final final thoughts of the episode. Good episode. Couldn't have been a better episode in uh, in a previous season. Uh, but it fared better than what I remembered it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I kind of feel that way about myself in this episode. You know, it's a good episode, but it probably would have been better <laughs> in a previous <laughs> yeah, season. It would have been. Uh, I've done better. Had this, had, had this episode become before the pandemic, we would have done so much better. 
In an earlier yeah. episode, we would have had a woman on this episode to guest star, or two or three women Indeed. on this episode to guest star and give their thoughts. You know, one last thought I do want to add. That's actually a really, really good point. And the reason why I would want to have multiple women is that I would want multiple perspectives, but I would also want multiple ages. Like, what a great episode to have somebody like, you know, like, for instance, like Jessica and her mom on the episode or something like that. Because another thing that this episode does really, really well is it gives us women of different generations. You know, obviously, like, Diana's supposed to be in her early 40s. Uh, You've got Susie, who is, you know, what, like 18, 19, something like that. I think that's what she's supposed to be anyway. You know, there's no, you cannot discount the the effect that those perspectives of time would give us and being able to have someone who was you know potentially uh, alive uh, in in the 60s and seeing all of this and having that firsthand knowledge it, you know would have been a great gift again times being what they are you get us instead yeah <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for listening we appreciate it thank you for uh, putting up with our long gaps between recording um Hopefully, like we've, uh, I feel like we've been saying this a lot. We're going to get into more of a groove. Uh, yeah, yeah. But we'll see. Uh, I, I certainly, I certainly, certainly think so. Yeah. I, 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 I believe firmly. You know, now that I, now that I'm in the throes of unemployment uh, and doing the full time dad thing, you know, Monday through Friday, I think our Sunday schedule yeah. can can hold, and we can. Uh, I, I am curious. Get I through these a, last nine episodes. I am curious. I always have a, a morbid curiosity about these things. How did you get let go? I mean, I, I know you saw the writing on the wall. Like, you even texted me, like, the week before. Like, you were expecting it, like, the specific yeah. week. So we had, we had, there was, like, a company meeting. And in the company meeting, you know, we were um, told that the, you know, the rest of the season was going to be canceled through the end of this year, which I think we had anticipated. Uh, and then the, kind of almost a throwaway at the very end of the meeting, uh, our executive director is just sort of like, and, you know, there will be more changes you know, more, more news to come and then nothing for like two weeks. And then we had a big company meeting and at the company meeting, um, you know, that obviously these were prepared statements and, and I don't envy them for having to deliver them, but, um, you know, there will be, uh, positions will be eliminated. Uh, pay cuts will be taken across the board. There will be no increases this year. Uh, some full timers will go to part time. Um, you'll be hearing from your, you know, managers after this, um, meeting and so the meeting ended and within half an hour I got the uh, the invitation um, for the the Zoom call which I kind of appreciated that it was you know face to face in terms of Zoom as opposed to just being over the phone or whatever and um, and yeah I you know your position is one of the positions that's being eliminated um, which again I completely understand and 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 know that that at this particular point in time. Uh, arts organizations, like I was saying, are struggling, um, and, and that these decisions have just unfortunately got to be got to be made. And so I, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I, I harbor no ill will whatsoever. Sure, I mean it's yeah, times being what they are, theater being what it is. Oh, speak because you you are uh, you did theater in Indianapolis. Have you heard yeah about the dinner theater in Indianapolis that is carrying on? Oh, in all of this, uh, I, I will text you the photo afterwards. But somebody tweeted it. It's uh, dinner theater. It's a musical. I can't. It's some '60s jukebox musical. I can't remember what it is. But actors are on stage wearing face shields, like 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 surgical face shields, and apparently, like they're they're doing the show to to half full 
theaters in Indianapolis and the uh, I'll, I'll pull it up here. God see. damn it, beef and boards. Yeah, what are you thinking? It is just uh, the, the tweet I saw was just reporting. We are at the actors wearing science lab face shields to perform a Beehive '60s jukebox musical to a half-filled dinner theater in Indianapolis. Phase of the apocalypse. Uh, with I know with the, a bunch I know of the, I know yeah, the artistic I'll text director. You the yeah. yeah. I didn't think I didn't think I but but I didn't think but I didn't think uh, I, I didn't think equity was allowing actors to work right now. You know I I don't know. Uh, this morning on my Instagram, I have a couple of friends from college. They live down in Orlando, Florida. They uh, they posted a selfie of themselves like they're they're at some drag queen show this morning, wearing face masks, like holding up a program. Um, where like ev- like every specific performer had a QR code in the program where you could scan it and like send them like Venmo or Cash App tips directly for the show. Wow. Um, you know. Theater's going to evolve in some new way. I don't know. It's, yeah, yeah, it's going to be different, that's for sure. I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things where I, I'm of the firm belief that uh, it's it's survived for thousands of years for a reason, and so that it's not under any real threat, um, ultimately. But I do think that the what the truth is is that the companies that have been producing it um, are under threat. And so while I believe the art form will continue and go on and on and on and on, uh, the companies and the artists are, are, are obviously, uh, hurting big time right now. And it's the reason why, um, you know, they, they, they need help and they need the same considerations, uh, that a fucking airline does. That's for sure. That is true. They won't get it. No, but, but that is true. This has been an episode of Fate's Wide Wheel. We're a Quantum Leap <laughs> podcast. You may have lost that in the last, oh, 10 minutes or so of discussion, but yeah. 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 It's funny. I was, I was thinking this was going to be a short one. No. I figured we'd just hop on, you know. Just... No. Yeah. But on that note, yeah. tune in next time. We'll be talking about Dr. Ruth. Is of note, this is the only two episodes where Sam leaped into women back to back. So that is, that yeah. is noteworthy. Um, like I said, we kind of previewed some of our thoughts about Dr. Ruth. I don't know. It's been a while since I watched it. Maybe we will be pleasantly surprised. Well, we do get what is, I think, in the sleep out. Uh, this is a perfect note to end on. We get what can only be described as one of the most iconic lines in the history of Quantum Leap. Is the size of a man's feet related to the size of his love muscle? We'll put that on social media. We'll ask people what they, uh, what they say. I don't know. I know. Anyway, on that note, thank you for listening, listeners. We're going to leap out of here. Yes, take care of yourselves and one another. Stay safe. Take care. Uh, Be good. Until next time. Until next time. Bye.
Close.